it just turned it on. Oh. Uh, yeah, that probably helps. Yeah. Does anybody need pages seven and eight? taped off saying don't sit back there. <laughs> You're a rule breaker, aren't you? <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get started. Today's uh, topic is the Trinity, which is pretty exciting. There's a ton of information um, here. There's a ton of information that you're going to want to know and get familiar with and try to retain um, as much as you can. So hope you have your note-taking material, pens, pencils, and um, get ready to flip through your Bible, okay? Because we're going to get as many passages as we can under our belt today, um, and then we'll do more next week as well. Should be fun. We're looking forward to this. I'm really excited. This topic is, is fun to teach and hard um, to wrap our minds around, but we all should have a basic understanding of it, and uh, today we'll get started going over it. So as you come up with questions, you know, let's uh, write those down and let's save them, and we'll try and touch on them as we go or at the end, and we can always follow up with them uh, next week as well. All right, let's open in prayer. Father God, thank you again for this day that you've made and this time that you've created for us to come together and be a church, be your church, to worship you and honor you. And Lord, I pray that our minds and our hearts will be in your word this morning together, that you will guide us and direct us to read your word and believe your word. And no matter you know what text we come across, uh, that we can find a way to make these come together and make as much sense to us as possible, Lord. We know that you work in mysterious ways and that um, our concepts are just well below what you're able to do and uh, how great and vast you are and all the things that uh, encompass you as our God and our Lord. So just guide us this morning, uh, Lord. Lead us, and we pray for all who are sick and at home, and ask that you will bless them and help them continue to heal and get better so we can come back as one body and one unit and worship you in one voice, Lord. Uh, thank you for this day, and we look forward to the rest of these services. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God is Trinity. I'm sure as this subject comes up, all of you have your own thoughts to come into your head to start off. Um, 
with, with the line of thinking that you're going to go down. I mean, several of you have probably been in conversations with others about the Trinity. You've probably had questions yourself. Um, it's, it's a topic that uh, lots of people have lots of questions on. But let's start with a very, very basic understanding um, of the belief of God, which is theism, right? Theism means the belief in God, just a general belief of a general uh, upper power, being whatever you might call it. Theism is the belief that God exists. So we're going to start there at the top of this funnel, and we're going to come down to a more defined um, understanding of where we sit. Next belief that a lot of uh, people around the world will believe in is monotheism. Um, a lot of other religions would believe this, uh, some cults. <coughs> what is monotheism? Well, that's the belief of just one God. Absolutely one God. There is no other God but the one. Okay, that's leaning in the right direction. But where are we? We're not just monotheists, right? We are Trinitarian theists. Uh, monotheists, to be exact. We do believe in one God, but our God is revealed in what? Three persons, right? So that's the funnel that we're going down today, and uh, we want to touch base on as much as we can. Our goal today is to find it in Scripture, to read it, to believe it, and to have that sink into our hearts, um, just as I'm not 100% understanding on how all the operations internally of the car works. I just know that I can get in my car, turn it on, and I can trust it to go most of the time. <laughs> but think about it. You, you use your eyes, you use your ears every day. Um, do you understand all the aspects of everything that encompasses that uh, as you use them and believe that they work? No, but we rely on them, and we trust them, and we know it because we experience that, right? Well, God's going to show us in his word who he is and how we can further understand how that plays out throughout the history of scripture that he gives us. So first question here, how many persons are there in the Godhead? Want everyone to get this right today? Make sure we get it right. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis. What do you say? Three. 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 Excellent. Okay. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism reads it this way, and this is very helpful. This is something that could be useful to you if you want to write this down, even take a snapshot of it. Now, if you know it already, great. You're doing better than I am. I don't know this off the top of my head, but it's just a simple explanation um, that we should be able to refer to in the least to be able to explain the three persons of the Godhead. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are, how many gods? One God. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. So same in substance, equal in power and glory. Those those things are all super, super important that we uh, work on wrapping our mind around that and making sure we have a firm foundation of understanding this and believing it, especially being equal in power and glory. 
And again, we'll get to passages so we can see this and read this out of Scripture itself. But this is a, again, a good short explanation of, of how to state that yourself and how to um, tell yourself in your own head as that question comes up. Any questions on this shorter catechism? Gerald Bray says, the revelation of the Trinity can be explained only by the transformation of perspective brought about by Jesus. The Trinity belongs to the inner life of God and can be known only by those who share in that inner life. So think about that. As Jesus comes... The Trinity is explained in Scripture as he lives his life and does his ministry and dies on the cross and rises from the grave. We can see the Trinity come out of that. Um, Prior to that, it's not as clear. And as Scripture is revealed through time, um, we'll go over passages that we can see hints of it, that we can see possibilities of... um, multiple aspects or personalities of God, but we don't see it come to full fruition until Jesus comes to earth. And the second half of that, in the inner life of God, can be only known by those who share in that life. What does it take to believe in the Trinity? Well, it's going to take faith in Jesus and who he is and who he says he, he claims he was and he is, right? And without that belief... Can we understand who God is and can we understand what Scripture tells us? No, we lack that ability, right? Scripture tells us we will lack that ability without that uh, spiritual knowledge. Okay, moving on. There are three words that you need to know for the Trinity. The first two two seem contradictory, but they are actually complementary. Do you know what those three words are? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Jeremy does. He wrote the slide. <laughs> cheater, cheater. Okay. The three words. Let's go over these. These are good words to get to know. Just very simple words to help us explain um, what the Trinity is. God is a simple being. He is singular. Okay. So your first blank there. He is singular. And we'll get to Deuteronomy 6.4. You can write that down next to that line on your paper if you want. It is marked a little lower on your paper too. We will go over that in some detail, um, so we won't flip to that quite yet, but we will, so be ready. We'll need lots of volunteers today. We got lots of scripture to go over, and it is exciting uh, scripture to be reading and understanding and seeing um, in the realm of the Trinity. Can I add one thing? Yes, Jeremy, please. With, uh, With simple, there's a theological understanding behind that word. Some people will see the word simple and think like dumb or elementary or immature or basic. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that we use it that that theologically speaking, that's not how we're using it. What it means that God is a simple being, that means he's not made of parts. So that is, that's all that means. God is not made of parts. Not made of parts, right. Like the explanation that we would hear about the four leaf, three-leaf clover, right? God is different parts. Um, the explanation of, of water and how God turns into different parts. 
um, is, is not different parts. He is one being. Okay, within his simplicity and total unity, he is plural. And then we'll see that uh, throughout Scripture. But we'll go to Genesis 1.26 in a bit and look at that as well. And we'll try to understand how he is singular and how he is plural. And then each person of the Godhead is divine and all three are equal. Equal is your keyword there in essence. Again, we'll see that in Matthew 28, 19 and throughout other scriptures as well. So singular, plural, and equal. Those are your key words. Those are very important. Then we start thinking about the Trinity in that way and we start wrapping our minds around uh, that God is these three things and they uh, are complementary, not contradictory. They don't fight each other, they can actually complement each other. Any questions on that so far? Okay, here's a fun statement. Think about this for a minute. If he is not singular, gods exist. If he is not plural, only the Father, the Son, or the Spirit exists. So let's wrestle with that for a moment as you think about people you've encountered in your life and maybe a belief you've held before you became a believer in Christ himself. And before you tried to understand the Trinity, these, yeah, these are things you gotta, you got to wrestle with. And as a Christian and as a believer, we can see where these concepts can come from. If gods exist... Um, we could, if we weren't Christians, we could say, you know, God the Father's a God, God the Son's a God, the Holy Spirit's a God, and maybe there's more gods, right? Um, just locally here, there may be the belief and understanding that there's, there's hundreds of gods and thousands of gods in uh, other worlds that rule and, and reign in other worlds besides this one. And this world is just our God, right? And um, they, they see them as separate beings completely. But if he is not plural, then only one of these three actually exists. The Father, the Son, or the Spirit. So which one would it be? And which one would we lean to if we weren't Christian and didn't have the understanding of the Trinity? The word Trinity, where is that found in the Bible? Well, you can find the T-I in Genesis and then, you know, the rest of the word back in, you know, you'd have to piece together bits and pieces of our, it's not there. It's the concept, right? It's the concept that we are searching for and trying to understand so that we can explain it um, to each other, to other believers and have this concept of who God is and how does he exist and what does he exist for and how is he ministering in multiple ways how do we see him in the scripture that he's given us, right? So maybe good questions to ask your, your friends or your neighbors or your coworkers. Right? Not bad. Hit him with that. If he is not singular, then God's exists. And if he is not plural, then only one of these three exists. Any thoughts or questions? Comments on 
This fun slide. First Testament, otherwise known as our Old Testament, but the first one that came, it was revealed to us from the beginning. Um, the doctrine of the Trinity is implied in the Old Testament and explained in the New Testament. Well, what do we mean by that? Again, we start seeing bits and pieces of it right from the very beginning in Scripture. And as Scripture is given to us over time, and as Christ comes and he appears on earth and ministers to the world, it is explained in explicit detail. So all the dots need to be, um, for the picture, are provided, but they are not fully connected until the New Testament. So all of the dots needed for the picture are provided, but they are not fully connected until the New Testament. And we have a great, great, we have a better understanding of that now than um, a lot of folks throughout history have had because we have the full canon, right? We have everything that was given to us in the Bible, and we can read that as one unit. We have it here as one book. It's not letter by letter and script by script and pieced together like a lot of uh, folks before us that lived um, as Christians had to do to understand this. We have it all in one. So we're very blessed to be in that time of, of the world where we have this together and we can piece this together and understand it. Let's start flipping to some of the Old Testament passages. I told you we'd go over Genesis and Deuteronomy. Let's start with Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. Someone want to read that out loud for the class? Just the first half of that verse is really what we need. Thank you. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let... That's good. That's good. Let God... Then God said, let us... So you get the us. Make man in... What do you say? Our... Image according to whose likeness? Our likeness. Just one image and one likeness. One image, one likeness. So from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 1, we are already starting to uh, see the concept of plurality. Although, is it explained explicitly? Do we get the, the Trinity out of this? No. We, we couldn't pull that out, especially if this is all we had. Right? If we just had Genesis, even just Genesis chapter 1, we'd say, okay, well, okay, so God's plural. We could get that out of it, but it's not explained explicitly. Um, let's go over Deuteronomy 6.4. You want to flip back to Deuteronomy? A couple chapters here. Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. What does that verse say? 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Okay, short verse, excellent verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Oh, good. That seems pretty to the point, right? Especially in English, that's pretty simple. But let's see what these words mean. Here, O Israel, that's the Shema, right? We call this the great Shema because God is calling his people to listen. Listen to this. This is important. Pay attention. In our Bibles, where it says the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the name Yahweh, which is singular. That means I am. That is the name that God told Moses who he was when Moses asked who, who should I tell them you are? And the Hebrew word is Yahweh, which means I am. And it is uh, singular. Okay, so we see the Lord or Yahweh is our God. Well, the word God in Hebrew is our, it says our Elohim, that is plural. The L there in this word is a plural form. So Yahweh is our Elohim, is what this verse says. And then it goes on to say, our Lord is one. Yahweh is one. <laughs> okay, so English seems super simplified. Um, if we're trying to understand it in Hebrew, uh, you can see why God was explaining this in Scripture to try and help the Jews understand who God is. Right? He is one. So if they understood, maybe they did, maybe they, they didn't, God in some plural aspect, this is saying, listen, Yahweh, our God is, he, Yahweh is one, right? He's one, one God, one being. Pretty interesting. And he's definitely trying to get their attention in this passage. A little confusing when we're trying to look at it in the Hebrew, but... Any thoughts on this passage specifically? And Jeremy, you want to add to anything that I've said? Basically, what you're looking at are the two most common proper nouns for God in Yahweh. And Yahweh, or uh, Hebrew, doesn't have vowels, by the way. So if you're wondering, why does it say Y-H-W-H? Well, that's what the Hebrew looks like. They don't have A-E-I-O-U. So uh, we add those to make it sound right. But Yahweh, of course, is singular, and the word for God, and when you're reading your uh, English translation, like here in 6.4, where it says God, like it says in Genesis 1, uh, then God said, let us make man in our image. You can see it right here in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God. That's almost always the word Elohim, which is plural, kind of like in... Um, <laughs> That like uh, in uh, <laughs> Alien Encounters. <laughs> That's my Sally Doom. Okay. <laughs> Beam me up. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, um, 
and for those of you who know Spanish, the word Dios in Spanish is plural. But that's the word for God. So it's not saying, you know, just because the word Elohim is plural, that doesn't mean, oh, the Jews believe there are a bunch of gods that existed. That's not what that's saying. What it's saying is God chose to reveal himself with both a singular proper noun and a plural proper noun. And that's pretty fascinating mm. when you consider it. Mm. Um, there's another Hebrew word, Adonai, which is most often singular, uh, but it's not used nearly as often as Yahweh and Elohim. And so we're just seeing how the, there's this implication, even within the grammar and vocabulary of Hebrew, this implication of singularity and plurality. Now, is this text implicit or is it explicitly explaining the Trinity? We, we still don't find the Trinity here, right? But it's hinting at it. It's giving us an idea that, again, there's, there's one, but there's more than one. How do we figure that out, right? So it's being implied. It's implicit. Again, it's in the Old Testament. Um, early on in, in the Old Testament, part of Scripture that was revealed long ago. And they're still trying to understand this. This is what God wanted them to know in this moment. That he is one, right? Awesome. Okay, we are going to go. Here's some um, verses on just the Father's deity, which typically is not a doctrine that's um, super controversial. Right? Most every religion, uh, every cult, and every Christian believer is not going to fight you on the Father's deity. But here's just a couple verses. All these verses we give, it's not exhaustive. We just try to highlight some for you. So if you're writing notes down, Nehemiah 9.6 and Psalms 86.10. We're not going to touch base on those today because we've got a lot more that we can cover on. The Son's deity, though, we should touch on um, a couple of these. So again, you can write down Psalms 45, 6 through 7. 110.1 and Isaiah 9, 6-9, which we'll go over um, the Psalm 110.1. If you want to flip over to Psalm 110.1, we got some interesting um, information on this psalm. So flip back with me, and let's find Psalm 110.1. And whoever wants to read that out loud for us, you can read the whole verse. That'd be great. Just one verse. Great. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Well, what's, what do you see here? Psalm 110.1. Who says what? And how is it written in your Bible there, the first Lord? All capitals, right? Okay, so we know that is Yahweh. Says to my Lord, which is a capital L, but the rest of the word's not capitalized. So the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Okay, what's the title of this song? Just said a psalm of David? That's, that's what it says in... And mine. Mine says, uh, the Lord gives dominion to the king. Okay. So David's writing this. David's writing this psalm. He's, he's inspired by the Spirit of God. Um, 
We'll see in some other passages how he identifies the Spirit leading him with the Word and that he is writing for God. But this passage, this passage is really important. Does anyone know why? I mean, all Scripture is important, but this one specifically, there's some neat aspects to it. Don't we use it here as a password somewhere? <laughs> It is the Wi-Fi password. That's the least important reason, but yes, I guess that does give it a little bit of authority over the rest of them. Yeah, it's our Wi-Fi password. Psalm 1101. Good job, Rex. If anyone needs the password to the Wi-Fi, write that down. Yeah, he's talking to someone. Yep. And David is king. He didn't have a lord over him. He is. He was the human lord at that, that time. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. David's the lord king. Lord said that his lord has to be a heavenly lord. Yeah. Well, this scripture is the most referenced Old Testament scripture in the New Testament, and that's exciting. Because as we read earlier from that gentleman that gave us that, that great quote, it is revealed through Jesus' coming. And we're able to understand it better through that. Um, I, my, my reference here is uh, Acts 2, 34 and 35. I'm going to flip to that real quick just to read it to you. Um, because it helps understand and, and make more sense of this and understand why the, the New Testament has explained this further. Um, 34 and 35. Acts 2, 34 and 35 reads, For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 36 Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. So they're using this in Acts, pointing out that, hey, this is what David said, but this is what he's talking about. And there's, there's other references as well. If you have a, a reference Bible, it might point to some of those. But this, this verse is quoted or alluded to at least 24 times in the New Testament. And when Jesus refers to this, it's, it shows it has some importance. David is writing something and saying something that he is being led to write by the Spirit himself for greater reasons than David even understands. And a lot of that's for, for our benefit, for the church, right? From where it started in Acts. So again, we're seeing this being implied, and we're seeing multiple persons, and we're trying to understand the Trinity from this aspect. But again, we're still just in the Old Testament, right? We've got to keep going. We've got to keep moving. Um, this leads right into the next verse, though, that we have on your paper. Let's look at 2 Samuel 23, 1, 1 through 3. I'm going to flip backwards in your Bible to 2 Samuel. we got three verses here, and we'll read all three. This will help us get an understanding on 
where David's coming from when I keep saying he's being led by the Spirit and writing what God is giving him. Let's read this out loud together. Somebody want to grab that? 2 Samuel 23. I'm not there yet. Verses 1 through 3. Anyone? I'll read it. Okay, 2 Samuel 23. Now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares, the man who was raised on high declares, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Spirit of Yahweh spoke by me is what he's saying. He's identifying the spirit and he's identifying Yahweh. And he's, he's explaining right here. He, he spoke through my tongue. He used me to say his words. That he was led by him. So as we look at the Psalms, as we look at everything that David wrote, we know that um, God is speaking through him and giving us, revealing to us the scripture that um, he intends for us to have as the church. Um, he had an intent for it then, for David, and for the Israelites that were with him and around him that had access to this. But we have a lot more access to it now too, right? We can piece these pieces together so it makes clearer sense to us in our day and age. And this is evidence of the Spirit's deity because the Spirit speaking is God speaking. Now, verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. Verse 3, the God of Israel said. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. We're seeing that implied, right? I mean, we're definitely seeing the Spirit and we're, we're seeing Yahweh. Um, the Trinity, eh, still, still implied, right? It's not full picture here, but we're getting it. We're getting pieces of this. We just read the Psalm 110.1, uh, where he said, the Lord said to my Lord. Okay. Now he's saying God and the Spirit. It's all, it's all interesting. It's getting pieced together. Now let's flip over to Isaiah 48. And read the 12 through 16 passage. More fun passages to look at, to keep piecing this together, to really give your brain more of a workout this morning. That's what you came here for, right? We are going to exercise our minds and our brains and allow the Spirit of God to help us understand. We might not get it 100%, and that's okay, right? Because we don't understand how our eyes work, how our nose works completely, how all the machines work, but they do. Okay, Isaiah 48, 12 through 16. You can read it. Please. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. 
Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. Assemble, all of you, and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He will carry out his good pleasure on Babylon, and his arm will be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Indeed, I have called him. I have brought him, and he will make his way successful. Come near to me, listen to this. From the first, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Wow. If that doesn't blow your mind, as we're trying to understand the Trinity, who's speaking here? Who do you think is speaking? Guesses? I think that's what the Father is. The one that paved the way. Well, can the Father, at the very end of our, our verses here, it says, And now the Lord God has sent me in his spirit. So, what hint does that give you? Is the Father sent? Christ is sent, and the Spirit can be sent. And the fact that it's so difficult to discern kind of proves the point, right? Like, <laughs> there's something going on here that's interesting. Yeah, verse 12, the second half, I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Who says that? The Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha and the Omega. You said God the Father. Where else do we see that? Revelation, right? And who says it in Revelation? Jesus does. Okay. So this verse is kind of helping shape this idea, this thought that we will see very clearly in the New Testament of the Trinity. Um, but for, for those who may argue that it's just never, ever anywhere hinted at or seen in the Old Testament, um, there, this isn't an exhaustive list. There's, there's more on here. We have the, these verses for you. Um, but there's more. And, and yeah, it's, it's there. But a lot of it has been implied in the Old Testament. Um, this verse seems a little bit more clear, doesn't it? Especially from our perspective, where we're sitting at now. We've read the New Testament. We know what happens. We've had an understanding, and we have this belief and faith in our heart. So as we come to a passage like this that was written so long ago, and you can read that, and you can piece those pieces together, right? Makes a lot more sense. All those verses are just great. They're, they're fun to read and just to really dive in and understand who's, who's speaking and who's telling what to who and who's directing here. But that is, yeah, we see Jesus speaking and we see the Trinity clearly coming about in this passage. Thoughts, questions on this part? Got all your references down? Anyone need this up still? I'm going to flip over here, and we'll keep going on. There's our puzzle. And when you start a puzzle, and you just have a couple pieces, you got to put the whole thing together to understand what it looks like, right? And as we get more scripture, right, as we're going through this, and we started in Genesis, and we went to Deuteronomy, 2 Samuel, Psalms, we're in Isaiah, and we're going towards the New Testament. This 
puzzle's gonna come together. We're gonna get the full picture and understanding of who God is and understanding of the Trinity as well. There you go. Now it makes more sense. Can't quite tell what that is. Now it's coming together. All right, let's look at some of the New Testament passages. Um, Again, Father's deity, not something that's super argued, but if you want to write some references down, um, we have Matthew 6, 9 up here, Luke 23, 34, and 46. The Son's deity, we're going to see a lot of that. You'll see it in Mark chapter 2, John chapter 1, uh, John 8, 5, 8, John 17, 5, We'll see it in Philippians 2, Colossians, chapters 1 and 2, Titus, Hebrews, 2 Peter. We're going to see a lot of the Son's deity in the New Testament. And then we'll also see the Spirit's deity come out as well, um, very explicitly. We'll see it in Acts chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians. So there's those references as you want to write those down. Let's start in John. On your page, you got John 1.1. 1, 1 which is one of my favorite passages as well. Let's flip over to that. I would like to add that if anyone ever meets somebody that tries to argue that the Father is not God, tell me about it. Because I, I don't know if I've like Dean's been saying, I've never met anybody who tries to argue that the Father isn't God. Uh, but if you ever meet anybody, let me know. That'd be an interesting person <laughs> to converse with. So. All right. John chapter 1, verse 1. How does that read? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Okay. Seems pretty simple. But as you stop and try and dissect that and break it apart, especially if you're not approaching this already from uh, Christian understanding and belief, um, This is going to get very difficult. But as Christians, we want to do the same thing and dissect it and understand it. So when did this happen? In the beginning. So from our perspective, what does that mean? Yeah, since before we understand, right? Was the word. And they capitalized word for us. What does that usually imply when they capitalize a word and the word word? (laughs) Referencing God, okay. Okay, so in the beginning was the word, and the word was with who? God. And the word was who? Okay. Uh, all, All that's pretty interesting, right? Why is John writing this? What are we to understand of what John is, is writing down? Trinity. What is the word? How do we know what the word is? <laughs> How far down do you have to go to understand who the word is? What did you say? Verse 14. Verse 14. What does it say, Renee? And the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. (laughs) Amen. Okay, so the word is Jesus, the Christ, our Savior himself. 
He is the person of the Godhead who took on flesh and came in our place, right? Now explain that. Now explain that. Well, let's stay in chapter 1, verse 1, and understand that as best as we can. In the beginning was, okay, let's say his name, Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Okay. And then, you know, all through those first five verses, it explains even more who Jesus was and where, when he came. <laughs> and who he is and what he's not, right? But, yeah, it only takes to get down to verse 14 to understand that John is specifically saying this is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Okay. Is that being implied as the Trinity, or is that more explicit? Like, Jesus is the Word, Jesus is God, and Jesus was with God. How can you be with God and be God if it's not a Trinitarian? Yep, exactly. Yep. I see a duo, where's the Spirit? What'd you say? I see a duo, where's the Spirit? Where's the Spirit? Well, keep reading, keep reading. As Renee said, keep reading. <laughs> um, Into the New Testament. Yep. <laughs> yep. We will see plenty of the Spirit. Okay. Which, I mean, it is a, a key element. I mean, one, one passage uh, is rarely going to give you everything you want to see. We just saw one in Isaiah where we saw Father, Son, and Spirit. But John's point here, though we are gleaning key Trinitarian doctrine out of this, his point of writing at the beginning of this letter is to exalt Jesus Christ. He's not writing to exalt the Spirit, but he's exalting Jesus Christ here. Now there are other parts in the, in the Gospel of John where he does talk about the Spirit, particularly for chapters 14 through 16, where Jesus is teaching us very much about the Spirit. But John here, in his writing, he's exalting Jesus Christ, which is why... You don't see mention of the Spirit because that wasn't John's point at the moment. But, uh, but Jesus Christ is certainly exalted here. Uh -huh. 12 and 13 sort of hint at the Spirit, though. Um, but all who did receive him who believed in his name and gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And we know that we received him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh -huh. Yep. So there it's being a little implied, and it'll, it'll become more explicit as we read more through Scripture. So yeah, good, good, good job. Well, John 1 is a very strong verse and passage for us, but it's not the only one. If that's the only one you know, good, but there's more, right? And as you become a more studious Bible student, we want you to understand um, more passages and at least be able to point to one and if you can get more in your pocket or under your belt and have those with you as well as you have conversations with your friends and family members and co-workers and stuff like that um, it's good it's good for you to do this and it's good for you to hear this over and over and over again um, so that you have a better understanding and you know where to look into your Bible to find this this is the first one that I memorized and I would start going to and when I would talk to Latter-day Saints, this is, this is the easiest one for me to know and, and find. 
And as I started that at work, you know, several years ago, um, this, this was the quickest, easiest one for me to remember and go to. And as we become better Bible students, we want to try and grab a couple more as we go on. So let's, let's flip over to Philippians 2 and look at verses 5 through 7. Philippians 2. Somebody want to read uh, verse 5 through verse 7 for us? And this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. How far do you want me to go? Just through seven. Okay. Yep. Through the likeness of men. Okay. So what is that passage telling us there? That's a fun one as well. It's a great memory verse. What do we learn from this passage? What do we see of the Trinity? Christ Jesus, who although he existed, what? In the form of God but he did not regard equality with God the thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, right? So then he took the form of, of what, a, what they call bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So he took on flesh is what, is what the word is saying. He was in the form of God prior to this. As, as it says, did not... Regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped. What is that saying there? What do we get out of that? In his pre-incarnate state, before he came to earth, he was existing as God and didn't see fit to use it for any sort of selfish gain or any sort of, um, any sort of misuse, but in great humility... He still came to earth, even though he could have squashed all of us like bugs. He, as God, in loving humility, chose to take on flesh. Right. We're seeing he is decidingly emptying his, himself of the essence that he has as God, as the word who existed in the beginning, Right. And he is doing this and taking on flesh. Obviously for our sake, we, we know the story, we understand that. But we're seeing him existing in the form of God and deciding to um, exist in the form of man. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty explicit of who Jesus is, and where he came from, and what he decided to do of his own humility. The timing of it is so critical. The verbs, he existed, this is, and it's very clearly talking about before he was born on earth. And so, yeah, there's just no, no way to get around that Jesus existed as God from all eternity. Mm -hmm. That is mm -hmm. quite plain. Now, I don't, 
have this verse on the screen, but I'm going to flip back and just read this to you real quick because we're going to link these next two verses with Philippians 2, okay? So we just read how he existed in the form of God. Now let's hear hear me read Isaiah 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Okay, I want to read you that because specifically where it says, I will not give my glory to another, Yet in John 17, 5, what does Jesus say in John 17, 5? Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then connect that with Philippians 2 as well, saying, although he existed in the form of God. Okay, so here's three passages that link together that show God is one, He is not going to share in his glory with anyone, but Jesus is part of, he is not part, Jesus is God. (laughs) Excuse me, Jeremy. (laughs) Jesus is God. They are one together in the Godhead. And it's amazing that Jesus praised that in John chapter 17. Again, very explicit there. Okay, we're down to the last five minutes. Um, there's a, quite a few more passages to go over, so we'll stop there, and we'll touch on those next week and go over more of those. Um, as you have your list here, I would suggest you go ahead and read through some of those yourself. And even if you have a reference Bible, look at what, what those verses um, link to and reference to. And come up with some questions, some thoughts. Um, some ideas that you might have, or just, how do I answer this? How do I understand that? Uh, If I'm having my conversation with my my Latter-day friends, um, how does this help me explain, you know, God's trinity to to them? Um, Any of those things are good. Again, the Old Testament, we're seeing it explained implicitly, uh, where we're seeing bits, pieces, hints. Um, It's not coming to the full picture because we don't have the full puzzle, Right? As Jesus comes, he is fulfilling the work in the ministry that was uh, prophesied. It was predicted that God told us would happen in history and, and for the church and for Israel. Jesus fulfilled those things as he came and did his work. And he took uh, himself in the form of a man and, and literally was obedient to the point of death, the death on the cross. So thoughts and and questions, concerns right now on where we're headed with the Trinity and and what's in your, your mind or your head? Everyone ready to go, uh, go door to door and start knocking on your neighbor's door and say, hey, let's talk about the Trinity. Mm. (laughs) That'd be a surprise for (laughs) the vast majority of them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we always want to be ready to be able to have these conversations with anyone as God puts people in our lives. Um, And again, it's not something that we have to have a, a doctorate on and understand in such a way that we can explain every little detail. Um, some of us would be able to do that better than others, right? Jeremy and, and Tyler are going to be able to do that better than um, some of the other 
members of the, the church here to, to a point. But there's always you know, other folks that can do that quite a bit better than, than what we can do ourselves. Um, but you don't have to have that. You have to have the desire in your heart to want to share the truth with uh, the people around us, right? To help them see what Scripture says and believe it. Because that's our goal. We're not trying to come up with this um, framework and then fit Scripture into the, the framework that we've already decided should be there. We want to read Scripture and believe what it says and have the best understanding of Scripture that we can. But there's a lot, right? There's a lot here. So understanding and knowing all of it is always a bit of a challenge. So take it bits and pieces at a time. You'll learn it better if you spend more time going over the verses yourselves and thinking on it. God always wants us to spend time in his word, right? Um, it does us great wonders to spend alone time reading and then stopping and, and thinking and meditating on his word and what that means and how we are to understand it and praying over it. Um, that really helps uh, fill our, our heart and our understanding with what God's word says. And you can only do it one or two or three verses at a time. You know, you got to do it at your speed and at your pace so that um, you don't overwhelm yourself and, and feel bad for thinking, I just don't understand any of this and can't, uh, can't explain it to anyone. It's um, God can use all of us to uh, share what he wants us to share from where we're at and what we can do with his word. So, All right. Well, let's end in prayer, and then we can go fellowship for a little while before the next service starts. Father God, thank you again for giving us your word and making sure that your revelation was written down in a way that was passed down from generation to generation, that we have um, so much in existence, uh, copies and um, scripture that we can look to, that we can compare, that we can use to strengthen our faith and our belief um, and just really deepen our relationship with you. We understand that you know us better than we can understand ourselves and have a deeper understanding of our hearts than we do at this time in our lives, Lord. But I pray that we have the desire in us to know you deeper and understand um, your vast love and your uh, vast uh, trinity that is set before us in your word. And just pray that we can grow together as a church and as a body and love on one another and encourage each other um, to continue in your word and share with all those around us. We just praise you, Lord, and we are thankful for our services today that we can worship you and honor you, and I pray that we can come together in one voice and, and just lift our voices to you uh, and sing and worship and as we listen to the sermon and the teaching that is coming today, we just ask for your blessings over all that, Lord, and we just praise your heavenly name. In Jesus we pray. Thanks, everyone.